Hey, storytellers. If you like the show, you can find Life Narrated on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever streaming service you use. It really helps others find the podcast and validates our existence. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Welcome to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and I am young, scrappy, and hungry. I'm Matt, and I shot Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. My name's Lauren. Good start. Oh. (laughs) My name's Lauren, and I just want a loaf of bread. And also those (laughs) candlesticks. And today we're going to talk about Hamilton versus Les Mis. We thought about this just because we were all fans of Les Mis. Uh, Les Miserables, the musical for a long time and then Hamilton came along and I am the only fan of Hamilton here apparently. That's not true. <laughs> it's a good play. Uh-huh. Musical. Okay. We weren't like as like in depth like we didn't drink the Kool-Aid the way you did. I drank all the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought that there was a lot of parallels and like differences that made it interesting and I thought we should talk about them. Um, first we should talk about Les Mis. It's a book first written by Victor Hugo that was turned into a play in 1980. 80. Yep. 1980. Oh, I got it right. I shouldn't. In yeah, 1980. Well, that's when the musical debuted, yeah. Okay, the musical debuted in 1980. Um, so long gap between the events. When was it written? Uh, it was written in 1860 something. 1862 is when it was published. It was based on events in like 1832. So, um, and it wasn't the French Revolution, which is what we thought. Yeah, up until like I think a lot of people think. I was today years old when I found out it was not about the French Revolution. Yeah. So, um, this is a time after the French Revolution. They again have a king on the French throne and it's an insurrection more than a revolution because it doesn't really go anywhere yeah it gets it gets squashed pretty hard and if you've seen the play you you know that they all die <laughs> spoiler alert they and all die this is the thing that actually happened apparently uh yeah it's called the june september oh no the the, Ju- the july revolution happened two years before that that was oh. what put the kings on the throne. Yeah, that's I what see. put the after all the chopping heads and okay, stuff like that. So they that. had the chopping heads in the French Revolution. Then they had the and then they and then the they Ju- had a series revolution. of other things happen. And then they had an or yeah, it was like the when I was briefly doing re- you guys saw <laughs> uh, the research I did. <laughs> the brief uh, research we did. An or Orleanist monarchy was restored. Orleans. So Orleans. So like the Orle- Orleans. So the king back to a revolution. Different king, but different still king. king. Yeah. And then there was an insurrection. The main, yeah, so the insurrection, so the, the events, it's basically about, like, there's just intense poverty. The social economical divide had, you know, continued to, like, grow. And then there's this really horrible cholera outbreak, which made it just, like, even worse. So it went from like a bad to worse situation, and then there was the death. If you know your musical, which I'm sure <laughs> you uh, do, the the students of the ABC Club are they're talking about how General Lamarck died. So that is real. That is that's a true that's thing. That this happened. general who was called he was a general of the people. When he died, it was basically used as a bark by people with like political agenda and whatnot. So, it was, but it was like the workers and the students and poor people really were just kind of like. 
hey man, this is our guy, and he's died now, so like, so we fuck need you to, all. Yeah, we we need all to hell breaks loose. <laughs> we need to fight for ourselves, kind of thing. Yeah. So that was true, and Victor was Mr. Hugo. He was there, so he kind of experienced the storm. Like some say, up to a hundred thousand people in Paris, not really on either side. He was kind of a bystander, and he wrote about that thirty years after the fact, and that is lameness. So the characters and everything, that, like Jean Valjean is not a real person, yeah. but he, he's real in our hearts. He's storytellers. He is used to represent that poor class who is being mightily abused. Yeah. Mightily abused. Mightily abused. And, um, you know, and of course all the events like lead up to the climax, which is the the barricade. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting because the book is is real boring. Like, I've read it. It hurts. I read it. I enjoyed it. Did you? I mean, like... It just feels (sighs) like a history lesson. Yeah. And it's also like he is very famous for his sentences which go on and on and on and on he uses the semicolon with like deadly <laughs> deadly accuracy He's an expert semicolonist. <laughs> yeah semicolonist friend of the show and expert semicolonist victor, victor hugo, hugo. <laughs> <laughs> i think i got i want to say like seven eighths of the way through it's the book, book and then it's i was like forget it i am done yeah. um, and that's when you put on like the movie and or the musical yeah. and you're like Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. So the, and actually when I had to read it in class, I already was very familiar with the musical. Mm-hmm. So that made it all the tests very easy. Same. Because um, actually the musical, you guys tell me, I feel like the musical actually does, and part of the reason why it might be so popular and why everybody knows the story without necessarily reading the book is because it does do such a comprehensive job. Does a very good job of like creating the reality. Yeah. yeah, not the reality. Sorry, the the letter and the and the spirit. The spirit of yeah. the book. So they're both they're both present. Yeah. I think. And I think I always feel this way that I connect more with music than I do with like just people speaking. Absolutely. And specifically with Les Mis, like you really get the emotion in there. Like I can't remember a single emotion that the book produced in me. But the... the save boredom? Yeah, save for, like, frustration and hatred of semicolons. The book, I mean, the musical, I cried. Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Also, when I was a kid, I, we had lost the second CD of The Les Mis. So for a long time, I thought the whole thing was just the first CD. Oh. And that ends, I think... You don't even meet Eponine oh, wow. in the first okay. CD. Yeah. So I loved it, and I didn't know the whole story. <laughs> Dies. <laughs> just, I don't know. Like, oh God! <laughs> yeah. Or like, or maybe honestly, if it's if it was roughly halfway through, it might have ended on a high note. Frankly, yeah. Oh yeah, it was the the love scene between uh, Cosette and um, Mar Marius. Marius. So I guess you did meet Eponine. Shines like silver. Yeah, not that one because that's my favorite song and it's on the second CD. I see. And I was like, I didn't even know Eponine had a song, which is my favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, um, I'm all about Fontaine. You have Jean Valjean, who was literally sentenced to die in prison. Because he stole be- a loaf of bread. Yeah. Which was a common offense, because not not unlike the French Revolution, there were food shortages and things of that nature. So the French Revolution kind of popped off because there was no grain. Like, all of the... <laughs> popped off. It popped off. <laughs> because there was no grain. Food yeah, there was no food. And so everyone, you There's know... bread riots. Yeah. And so, you know, literally, you know, a century later, it's a similar situation. And, uh, 
so you have him, and and then you have Fontaine, who is um, she's like a great character when you think about what sh- who she is reflecting in the context of history. So she's a, she is a like disenfranchised woman. Yeah, you know her song is beautiful because it's about how she fell in love with a man. He did not marry her. He got her pregnant and he left her. Yeah. And so she lost her childhood and her youth and is trying to like do right by her child gets fired because they because have a baby. she has a child like it's yeah. it's almost impossible and even like single women today have this problem too it's right. very hard to maintain a job while you have a child if you're a single woman right and like it, it was actually like you know because she was not married and she had a child they thought she was morally corrupt and so that is why they fired her but like you know, today it's just like, well, you spend too much time with your kids, so you're gonna, you have to resign, <laughs> like, right. these kind of things. Or like, oh, you're the only person that can really, really, you're the only person that can take him to this doctor's appointment. It's like, uh, yeah, yes, I'm a single I'm parent. mother. There's yeah. only one of me. Right? So yeah, so she's, you know, she's another example. So she turns to prostitution. Yeah. And that's like the only recourse for her. And she sells her hair, which sounds awful. Yeah. So it's like one of those, not unlike Jean Valjean, but like a different perspective of like, oh, you're already not in a great situation and let's push you down further. Right. And I think it's like reflective of the economic situation in which the poor who were like surviving became so much poorer because of these things. Like Jean Valjean was poor. He couldn't, he couldn't um, afford bread. So he stole bread and just like his life went down the toilet just because of that one thing. And then Fontaine had a fine life. She was uh, in love with this man and because she trusted him, now her life is down the toilet. Like just these things that aren't really their fault that have affected their lives. That frankly people do all the time. Make them le miserable. Yeah. So, I mean, so the story is also about redemption. So, like, the, uh, you know, Jean Valjean is redeemed by the priest that he encounters and turns his life to God. Yeah, so... He becomes a godly man. So one of the first instances is that Jean Valjean is taken in by this priest after he figures out that no one's going to hire him for a job because he's a convict. He's taken Not in, unlike today, by the way. Yeah, just, throw just that FYI. Out there Still uh, don't hire felons. So. He's taken in by this priest... And he ends up just getting real mad because he's a convict and he wasn't allowed to work. So he steals from the priest and the gendarmes find him and they are they arrest him. And the priest is like, no, 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 I gave him those things, which is... And then um, Jean Valjean is like, well, how can I repay you? And the priest is like, turn your life to God. And so Jean Valjean does and he builds this whole life for himself and takes care of this he becomes a mayor yeah he's he a mayor like, he, he turns his life around and kind of buries his past and becomes a really reputable person and becomes a mayor and he owns a factory and the factory is uh where Fontaine works and gets subsequently fired from and so when he sees that like oh my like policies have made this poor woman a prostitute he takes her in and she dies from presumably cholera or some I was thinking it was TB yeah, probably tuberculosis, something, something of that nature. Consumptions. A consumption. She has a consumption. Basically, says to him, "Can you take in my daughter?" And he does. So the story is all about you know. So Fontaine is redeemed. She doesn't die in the streets. You know, yeah. she she's and and it is very clear that like while they have a platonic relationship, that they love each other for the time that they're together. Yeah. And um, and he takes the girl, but then at the same time, someone shows up and is arrested for stealing fruit from a fruit tree, 
and it looks exactly like Jean Valjean. The person who's been chasing Jean Valjean this whole time, Javert, Javert. he is like, I am certain that this man who stole the fruit is this missing convict. He's going to go to prison forever. Because more forever. More forever. Jean Valjean never did time for stealing bread. He escaped. Yes, he escaped after he did twenty years. But he was like a young boy when it happened, and he was in prison for 20 years. Yeah, but then he escaped after 20 years. No, it was five years for what you did, the rest because you tried to run. Yeah. Yes, as the song says. So he did five years for the theft, and then he tried to break out before those five years were over. Right. And then he got whatever. He only spent 20 years in prison. So this crazy detective Javert has been chasing Jean Valjean for many years, trying to get that loaf of bread. (laughs) That's right, (laughs) that loaf of bread. Um, so, he also broke a window pane, just FYI. That what monster. A, that monster. <laughs> what a little punk. A little, clearly delinquent behavior here. You so, be put away for life. Jean Valjean is like, he's this guy who stole the fruit. Definitely, he's Jean Valjean. He's going to show up in court tomorrow, and we're going to sentence him to life in prison because he is this escaped convict. Not because he took the fruit. Um, and then Jean Valjean, because he's turned his life around, because he's turned his life to God, he's like, I can't let this guy go to prison for something that he didn't do. However, he did steal fruit. So, like... <laughs> yeah. So he shows up and, like, proves to everyone that he is Jean Valjean. And Javert is, like, pearl-clutching. <laughs> and I, that's one of my favorite scenes, is that he's like, I am 24601. Yeah. Uh, and that's his prison number. And everybody's like, what? What? And then he runs off with the uh, with Fantine's child, just to not like just, with her, but like to save, caring her. for her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> to right. To save no, he, her, he like he begs with Javert, like give me one more day to go say goodbye to her or something. He says he, he wants like, like three days to go and get to her and to her. set her up. Yeah, right. And then, and then Javert's like, Psh. no. He says okay. He's like fine, go. But then he doesn't come back. No, I think that Javert says no, and he and that's punches why... him. Yeah, no, Javert's like, are you kidding me? You're you're going to run again. You have a history of this. And he's like, no, I, I give you my word. I will come back. I just need to take care of this child because nobody else will if I don't. And Javert's like, absolutely not. So then Jean Valjean... Uh, Attacks him. Yeah, it's, Later- it's basically like... Okay, well, fuck you, because... Later on, a similar situation happens, yeah. and that time Javert does let him go. I think Valjean left. You know, moving forward, the revolution happens. There's a kid named Marius who falls in love with uh, Fantine's daughter, whose name is Cosette, and he's up in this revolution, and his parents have disowned him because he wants to be a artist, a scholar. I don't know what he wants he, to be. Yeah, he's a student, so he's, you know, I guess... I can't remember why his parents disown him. I don't remember. He doesn't have a lot of money. Yeah. And so he he is late one day, and one of his classmates pretends to be him, losing his own place in the class, and so they became friends, and that's, um, what is his name? With an F. Oh my gosh, I can never remember. I never remember his name. French names, man. It's really... Oh my gosh. Either way. And, it, and it's because of the pronunciation. Yeah. I feel like I can never say it right. F dude is his friend, and he's in the revolution, gets him into it. Yeah. And then he meets Cosette, Marius meets Cosette, and they fall in love, and it's lovely. But Marius already has a lady friend, Eponine, who he kind of views as a kid sister kind of deal. But she is in love with him, and it's really sad. She has a really sad song about how she's never going to... It's so unrequited, it's really important. It's really awful. Um, Okay, it's... I I do not know how to say this. Let me see. Kofarak is who I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. 
He's the one that gets Marius into it. Yes. And then that guy's the leader. He's the one that sings. Yes. Do you hear the people sing? Do you hear the people sing? Yeah, so they start this revolution thing. And then he, Marius is kind of faced with this deal because Javert catches up with Jean Valjean, Fantine's daughter, Cosette. And Jean Valjean has not told Cosette anything, which is such a shitty move. Anything about his past life is what you mean. Or her past life. Right, so she doesn't, I mean, she she knows she had a mother, but she doesn't know the circumstances under which... And she believes herself her. to be his daughter. Yeah. And so he's like, we're leaving now. And she doesn't understand why, or, you know... And she's in love. And she's in love. And so Marius is faced with, like, following them to uh, Calais, which is where they're going, or fighting in this revolution, which he really believes in. I think he ends up, he does end up fighting... But Cosette confesses to Jean Valjean about her love, and Jean Valjean goes out to find Marius and protect him. So, so this is the beauty of it, because so then Jean Valjean, the character, ends up being in a similar place that Victor was. In terms of, like, he's bouncing between barricades and not really, he's, you know, he's not one of the rebels, but he's also obviously not a police officer. Yeah, yeah. And so he's just kind of milling around looking for this kid. And yeah. so, like, Victor Hugo was kind of the same, where he was, like, in Paris and was just kind of like, whoa, <laughs> like, <bullets laughs> what the heck is going on? And so he finds Marius in really bad shape. Eponine gets shot. Sorry, guys. It's really hard for me to talk about, so let's move on. Um, and The kid dies, too. Gravache. Gravache. Uh, who is Eponine's brother in the book, but yeah. not really in the play. Yeah, he doesn't really. He just yeah. kind of seems like a little... Just a street, street, street urchin. Street urchin, yeah. Um, but it's funny because the thing about that is the Tenardiers, which is Eponine's Eponine name. and her Gavroche, and also her awful, awful parents. So the Tenardiers, the bad Tenardiers, who are her parents, are like really money grabbing. They're the ones who had Cosette in the beginning and made yeah. um, uh, Jean Valjean pay a lot of money to get her back. Um, and they're just like real awful people. They're the ones who survive, and their children, who are actually good people and who like died to save people, they don't make it out of this alive, mm. which is really awful. Yeah. There's actually one of, uh, there's a great song, so they, you know, they started off as like innkeepers and actually had money and income and kind of lose that. Throughout. That's true, they get poorer as well. They yeah, they kind of lose that throughout it. And there's a, a song in which Nardier is, during these battles, he's going through the bodies and yeah. stealing like teeth and right. money, money or yeah. jewelry or whatever. And, and that's how he makes it rich after the war, yeah. after the insurrection. And it's, and you know, so he like collects all this stuff and it's the song, in the song he says something about like, someone has to clean them up, my friend. And it's basically kind of this like, they're dead, they don't need it anymore. And so he's like grave robbing essentially. Yeah, yeah. And it's really like... He's not a great person. Yeah, and, and then and then you have his sweet children who are like yeah, and like Eponine is like dies for the person that she loves. Yeah, and even though she is literally delivering a letter from his girlfriend to him, so <laughs> she's like, she's kind of the classic Little Mermaid character. Yeah, in the sense she where really she's like, is. Like I love you so much that I want you to be happy, with even if it's lover. not with me. Yeah, talking about the OG little Marius. The OG, obviously. yeah. Um, and then so Jean Valjean goes out to find Marius and brings him home, uh, saves his life, and must have leave him somewhere to get better because he doesn't know until later that it was Jean Valjean who saved his life. And then they get married. 
lots of stuff happens. Cosette finds out the whole story from Jean Valjean on his deathbed, basically. And Marius finds out that it, or figures out that it was Jean Valjean who saved him. So it's a tragic story in a way, but then there's also these young lovers who, yeah. you know, Again, lots of redemption. Real, it's mostly tragic. Yeah. Like, most lots, of the characters die. Lots of redemption. And the background, the, the backdrop to this whole thing is this, yeah, everything they're doing in terms of like the, the rebels is about like, you know, hey, like poor people are literally treated as like subhuman. Like we want equal, you know. Yeah. It's not it's not even about like equal rights, it's about like human rights. Yeah, yeah. In a way, just to be like treated and to be given the same opportunities. Yeah. Um, as as other people. Yeah. And I think it has a different we'll talk about Hamilton in a second, but like the feel of this and the it's very French in a way and it's very like I die for love. Yeah. You know, um very capital R romantic because feelings are more important than what else is yeah. going on than logic. Than logic. And you find that the people who are have this like concrete absolute thinking are the ones who are creating this situation. So like Javert represents that other side, the the side oppressing. Yeah. You know, he is part of the oppressors, but eventually like his he he eventually realizes so there's a moment where um, Valjean, yeah, Valjean could kind of have his revenge and kill him, and he doesn't. And he says, yeah. "Oh, so he Valjean has Marius. Marius is like being carried; he's unconscious, and Javert is like, i 'I've got you now.'" And uh, Jean Valjean is like, he's dying, like, just let me go. And, and, like, this is a good cause, like, I've been a good person, like, you can't say that I haven't. And Javert does let him go, and then he has this huge crisis of faith, because he's like a computer, he is malfunctioning. For years and years he's been nothing but following Jean Valjean and trying to get that bread back. Yeah. (laughs) It's his way way, whale, man. Yeah, and then he has it in his grasp, he lets it go, and he has to really kind of come to terms with like, what does that mean for my identity now? Yeah, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. He kills himself. Yeah, rather like, than, than like, doing some introspection. <laughs> he's like, yeah. I refuse. <laughs> I mean, he does a lot of introspection, and it doesn't go well. And, and he... He kills himself. He kills himself. He jumps off a, a, a something, a bridge. Yeah. I think he jumps into the river. Yeah, and so, like... It's funny because there's a comic that uh, Kate Beaton did about uh, the mixing of uh, Les Mis and Rent, and like everyone's singing and dancing in the background. He's like, "You can't not pay your rent; it's illegal." <laughs> he's like, "He's like, not paying rent is illegal." And then in the last paint, he's outside and he's talking to someone. He's like, "Burn it down." <laughs> like, and so he's just like really uncompromising to the point yes. where when he's faced with this cognitive dissonance, like he did this thing, let this horrible person go but maybe he's not so horrible my whole life has been you know a lie no it hasn't i need to kill myself (laughs) i how can i i can't reconcile this so maybe it's more like i my life has been so horrible that like i cannot forgive myself for the things that i've done in pursuit of justice really is that what you got from that i'm saying it could be interpreted that way no i know i'm just saying is that something that you no not really i think it was that he was like the cognitive distance like you said but like you could also say that maybe it was just like him being like I've, oh, been man, so, I've been doing yeah. so. Yeah. I've been such there's an such asshole. Yeah, I've been such an asshole. There's such a beautiful in Javert Suicide the song. He says, "And so it must be, for so it is written on the doorway to paradise that those who falter and those who fall must pay the price." And so that kind of encapsulates perfectly yes. his mindset, which is like, "You faltered and you fell, albeit this one time, mm-hmm. but you did that. But you did it, and it's, and your it's fault done. And it's done. You're done. You're, you're not worthy now." Yeah, and so, and, and so for Javert, the re- redemption 
there is no such thing as redemption. And that's, I think, part of why his, like, brain just, like, like, (laughs) he did redeem himself, but I don't believe in redemption. So what does that mean for all those other, you know, maybe he did have that. I'd like to think that an actor portraying him, that would be the actor's kind of, like, motivation. And it's funny because I have a a DVD of the 25th anniversary performance. The guy who plays Javert in there is just, like, very good oh. and I once just watched it and like sketched his face every other second and it was just like it's just like the, really good is he the the um I'm trying to remember which cast it was because there's like the original Javert who I believe is amazing and then there's there was this guy I, I think he was black yes the black guy oh my gosh he's yeah amazing very too. good yeah. yeah like those are the two that like mm. yeah I was mm. like this guy will kill you <laughs> he is not playing around but um, yeah, so it was it was good. I love it. I've seen it several times and would see it again definitely. Anybody wants to take us? Yeah, that's right. Um, Shoot us an email. Suggestions, suggestions. at epilogue. No, dang it, Emily. Suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Please stop trying to plug your other I'm podcast. So sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I I want to throw this out there. Who is your favorite character? What is your favorite song? And also, why do you think that you loved it so much? Because it sounds like we all came to this very young. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, I know I was a little kid watching this shit on PBS with my folks. Yeah. Like, and we, all, we too, had the two-disc, like... Yeah, I actually know, didn't see it, version. see it until I was an adult, I think. Yeah. Or at least in college. So go, Emily, favorite character. Yeah, so I think Eponine is my favorite character. And also her song... Um, the one about unrequited love, I'm trying to remember. I can never remember song titles. Like, it takes me... In the rain, the yeah. pavement signs like silver. On, on my, my own, own. yeah. Uh, I know, every time you're just like, oh, Eponine, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Um, it starts off sad, too, because she literally is like, on my own, pretending he's beside me, and you're like, like oh! <laughs> and it sucks because, like... You know, Marius is just completely oblivious. He's not, like, being cruel or anything. Right. He's just, like, he does he's really not understand. And that makes it worse. Yeah. And, like, he does love her, but in the way that you would love, like, a kid sister. Yeah. And it's, like, And oh, I think he even, like, kind of refers to her that, right? Does yeah. He's like, oh, you're the best. And she's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And he's, uh, at one point when he first meets Cosette, he's like, Ebony, my dearest friend. And she's like, yes? And he's like, you need to find out who that girl is. <laughs> and she's like... Okay, and he's, he's like, Ebony, you know everything, you know everyone, like, you can do it, I know you can, you're so great. And she's like, all right, I can. <laughs> I can. And, uh, and then she gets, and she gets, um, she takes a letter from Marius to Cosette, and then Cosette gives, or Jean Valjean gives her something to take back, and that's when she dies. She dies trying to get back into the barricade to give him this letter from his love, and it's just like really awful. <laughs> what about you? I like. Do you hear the people saying? That's pretty stirring. Yeah, yeah. stirring is a good word. Yeah, it's like ah. Oh, you want to like flip over a car after it's I over? Flip over a police car. <laughs> yeah, flip like over police force. fuck the police. That's right. <laughs> do you hear the people sing? Although the funeral song, because it's like a reprise of that, mm, yeah. and like with other strains in there, and you're just like, ah, oh, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite character, Maddie? Uh, I think it's. I think like. The Jean Valjean Javert like complex, mm. like, <laughs> the yes. nexus. When they're together and like yelling at each other about crime and punishment and like two four six zero one, I think that's my favorite character. That's yeah, yeah. Maybe the same 
I like them both the same for yeah. reasons. Yeah. Because Rivera is so, like, uncompromising and just such, like, incredible asshole. Yeah. He just, gets like, shit done. He's a really good character. Like, yeah. a really good character. Because there are not many people like that, like, in reality, no. but there are people like that. Like, I that think... black true. and white thinking. Yeah, it's just, very, like, it yeah. is, it's very rare, but it does happen, and it's like, holy crap. Like, you're a monster. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing, too. I think... And you tell me if this is how you feel about it, Matt, but, like, Javert is also, like... He, he doesn't believe that he's not trying to be a bad guy. No, he's like he, a great antagonist he because... He's doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. like he really so believes... So much so that he kills himself because he thinks he might have done the wrong thing. Yeah. 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 And like, you're like, wow, you are the quote-unquote bad guy, which I know that's one of the things you want to talk about. Yeah, Emily, but we'll talk about it we talk about like Hamilton and stuff. But like, he's not a bad guy. He's, it's almost like worse because he's just been completely misguided. Like, mm-hmm. I totally see this like young Javert being like bullied by his dad kind of situation you know where his dad is like or or you know prison guard yeah like and so he grows up into this black and white thinking kind of like nope this is the righteous path and again we're talking about religion too yeah he's you know he sees his duty as a cop as like a religious he's like a a religious pillar, a He's moral also pillar in the community. So, so black and white that when faced with a situation where Fontaine, like, uh, she's the prostitute and then this very wealthy man comes up to her and is basically like, show me everything, like, get naked before I pay you. And actually, he, his, the energy coming off of him is so awful that she's like, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I'm not, and then he gets really irate because a prostitute just told him no, which, like, has got to hurt, and then she scratches him, or he grabs her and she scratches him, and then Chavert shows up, and the courtier is like, this prostitute attacked me, and he doesn't even question it for one second. He's like, absolutely, this prostitute attacked you, very wealthy man who's dressed very nicely. He doesn't question it for a second, because she's a prostitute. And all prostitutes are horrible. Yeah. There are no... Wars with the heart of gold in his <laughs> in his schema. Mo- yeah. <laughs> what what is your favorite? Um, I my favorite is probably the innkeeper. <laughs> a Tenardier. Tenardier. I think, and part of that is because he's so like when you think of like a villain, like he is the, like he is just a sleazy like bad guy, but he owns it. Yeah, and he's not both. ashamed. Yeah, he has no shame, and he's literally just kind of like out to get his. He's he's my favorite character because he's he is a little bit of a caricature. Yeah, but he's so unabashedly himself. Yeah, so I'm not saying he's like a good guy. He's not like no. the hero by any means. But I I kind of just it is also almost kind of refreshing because he he, he lives serves, in the gray. He also serves as like comic relief a lot. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, like songs, yeah, like, yeah. Does are kind of like. Funny, like, so funny in their horribleness. Yeah, and there's a reason why people cheer when he comes on stage. Oh, yeah. You know? he's, he is, he's hilarious, and he's really, he's really ridiculous. And the Master and of the House song is really just, like, the best. Yeah, and his know? wife, like, undermining him, or, yeah. you know. Um, I think my favorite song, though, is, I think it is Javert's Suicide. And part of it is because it's so, it's so sad, but you have to, the performances are so beautiful and really intense and incredibly passionate. And so I think, like you said, Emily, where, like, music and singing something can, like, touch you more, really, than, like, you know, somebody yeah. just saying it. If you read the song out loud, it just doesn't have... You have to yeah. sing it, and then it just hits you in all the weird 
yeah places all of the like, feels yeah of like truly i you just you want to shake them and be like you don't have to kill yourself dude like yeah. it's okay like, it's you know fine. And i think that's the moment where right he is the antagonist because he's against our hero who is valjean but you realize like He's not, like, a bad dude. He has been misled in so many ways. And you find, like, I feel like in that song, you find, you as the person watching it, find your compassion for him. Yeah, absolutely. And that is one of the songs that I cry at. That one and the On My Own are, like, top of the list. I wonder why, because I mentioned this, too. It's like, why why we fell in love with it at such a young age? I think it goes back to what you were saying, Matt, about the, basically, like, the rally song, where it was just, like... When I was a kid, I was just like, no, I just want to get behind something, and I had these big feelings. Yes. <laughs> hey, faithful listeners. Do you have an idea for an episode topic? Do you have your own opinions about what we talk about when we talk about zombies? Do you suspect someone of mind wizardry? Are you your own grandpa? Do you suspect us of mind wizardry? Let us know what you're thinking by emailing us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Let's talk about Hamilton because that is newer and we all came to it as adults mm, somewhat. <laughs> and um, it came out in t- 2015, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Written by Lynn manuel Miranda, but based on the book by Ron Chernow. And he gets royalties for this musical, Ooh, which is, oh, really? like, the best. Like, <laughs> he has great. got to be a millionaire. Yeah, and, like... Him if, and Lynn are just, like... Yeah. I wonder if Victor Hugo's estate gets royalties. I <laughs> highly doubt it. I'm sure... I think it's public domain at this point. Yeah, but I guess... I mean, the, the book. Yeah, the book is for public sure. domain, definitely. But, like... Oh, so it's 70 years after the author's death, which is definitely... That's yeah. definitely... Now, side note, Mickey Mouse comes into the public domain next year. So that's going to be fun. They're going to, oh, they're going to fight that tooth and nail. Yeah. But the, I mean, they're trying to get it extended. They, the reason that the last copyright laws went into effect was because of Mickey Mouse, because yeah. it was about to come into public domain, yeah. but they only have a year. So I don't know. Anyway, back to Hamilton. That's a different episode. <laughs> that's a different episode. <laughs> that's a different episode. Um, Hamilton is about Alexander Hamilton, who is one of the founding fathers who never became president. He was born in um, the Caribbean. I don't remember where. Oh, he was born in the Bahamas, um, uh, in Nevis, and if that's how you say that. And I actually had to pretend to be him once for a school um, play, or it was like a you, we were doing the Continental Congress, and I was supposed to be him. And I, I don't know what happened, but like this girl that I hated was uh, Jefferson. And, like, we were going at it. And, like, not knowing that this was historically accurate. <laughs> like, so that was fun. Um, but Channel your Arnold Hamilton. Hamilton. And yeah. with your proverbial Jefferson. I mean, I really knew nothing about him except, I mean, that one play I had to do. And I knew that he was born in the Bahamas because of that. Um, but, and so he's born... I think the implication is that his mother was a prostitute. I don't know if that is something I made up in my head or not. I don't Maybe know. From the play, you made you got that idea. No, no. I think I was just thinking like Fontaine. His mother was right. Like, oh, right uh, they're mixing together. I, they are mixing it's together. So, so she's a disenfranchised woman. His mother, yeah, had a baby out of wedlock with a Scottish person, Scottish dude who left. Um, and the reason, yeah. So I think that's just what I thought. Anyway, he comes to America. He gets. 
So the play starts when he is still in the Bahamas. He They talk about his life, about how his mother died of influenza or some disease. Con- some consumption. consumption. Yeah. Um, all the consumption. All the consumptions. Then he goes to live with his, uh, his cousin who hangs himself. And then he's That's taken rough. in by his, yeah, his mother's landlord who he keeps the books for. Um, and then there's a hurricane that destroys everything. He goes to college in America. He meets Aaron Burr. He is a soldier during the first part of the Revolutionary War, and he ends up stealing cannons off of the ships because they're, like, getting pummeled, and they're like, how do we stop them? Like, steal the cannons. So yeah. they steal the cannons, um, and so he's highly sought after, but he really wants to be a soldier, and they want him to be their secretary because he's very good at it. Like, he is yeah. away with words. Everyone says he's very charming. But then George Washington comes to him and is like, you need to be my secretary. And he can't say no. Like, you know, you can't say no to George Washington. So he's like, yes, I'll be George Washington's secretary. And like... Yeah, I mean, like, like, his right-hand man is what they say. He writes all his letters. He keeps all his books. He might even write his diary for him. Like, you know... so it's like when you think of like a secretary at like an office job, but like that's but like twenty four seven, yeah, like, it's like a personal assistant is essentially what he's. Yeah, and he's sending out notes to all these generals. He's the one who's coordinating all this. Obviously, yeah. George Washington is giving the orders. He's in the thick but of all. Of he's this. in the thick of all of it, and so every single time, you know, he keeps on asking George Washington, "Please give me a." Um, like an actual command. An actual command. Like, I could do so much. And every time he says no. And you find out later that George Washington... I mean, I think this is a little bit of Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, uh, extrapolating, but George Washington um, had a huge defeat in... Um, I want to say it's the... No, the French and Indian Wars after the... It's a war that happens before the Revolution. Fort Necessity. Yeah. He is in charge of Fort Necessity. He definitely beefs it. And the everyone dies at Fort Necessity, except for him. He gets captured and ransomed back because he's the, the in charge. Yeah. Um, so he has this long-seated thing where he's like, I was really young. I fucked up super bad. And... I don't want you to... I don't want you to have to do the same. And, like, he might be right about Hamilton because he is way too into killing folks. And, right. like, not enough into planning strategy. <laughs> so, yeah, he's young, scrappy, and hungry, and he um, wants to be at the forefront of everything. So he also meets this woman, Eliza Schuyler, and her sisters. He's I, he's really after Eliza for her money, to be honest. Um, but I think he loves her, too. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. It's so hard, too, in, because that you're mm-hmm. right. Like, social climbing and that sort of stuff is, like kind of part of what you do like marriage is a is a legal contract yeah. for a reason and it wasn't until like more recently that love being in love with somebody like yeah like you said there's capital r romance and then there's like the practicality of like get married so that you can have money or security or whatever and yeah. so you know for hamilton it sounds like well i can have both and still be flirty and yeah kind of you know so it's not to say that he didn't love her but also he was Strategically. Yeah, wandering eye. <laughs> right. And that comes back to bite him in the butt. He marries her. He gets all of her money. Very exciting. <laughs> Throughout all of this, him and Aaron Burr, their relationship is very friendly. They're good friends. Aaron Burr is a little jealous of him mm-hmm. being George Washington's scribe. Which is so funny because he didn't want that job. And then someone else is like, I wish I could write all his letters. And me. 
Well, yeah, exactly. So, um, just shows you, like, Hamilton, like, that's a good job. Yeah, Aaron Burr is very practical. Like, he comes from wealth, he really wants to make a big name for himself, but he's also too cautious in that he's just waiting. Like, later on, he says that this is the afterbirth of a nation, and I'm waiting to play my hand, basically. Even after the revolution, after everything is done, he's still, like, not 100% behind America, because he he's, like, waiting to see what happens. Mm. And, like, there is something to be said for being strategic about, like, throwing your support behind something. But, like, he is, he waits way too long for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the story of him after the, after the events of Hamilton is just bonkers. He tries to secede Mexico from America and, like, start his own empire and... Oh, his Aaron. daughter Theodosia gets lost at sea, which is really sad because he loves his daughter. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Sorry, just the idea of someone getting lost at sea. Yeah, and like That's not so even sad. like transatlantic passage. She was going from like Georgia to Massachusetts, like just up the coast, up the coast, and Aww. it was never found again. And that's really sad. There is speculation that she ran away, but <laughs> mostly not. <laughs> they have the revolution. They win. Woohoo! Woohoo! He finally gets a. Uh, command and he's like real excited about it and and then he becomes a lawyer and so does Aaron Burr and they like work next door to each other and they're competing and he just talks so much so we also have a a visitor here sorry to interrupt Curtis uh Crabtree okay Curtis Crabtree is um three months old almost yeah yeah so he's been very good up until now but if he starts crying just so you know, that is the sound of life happening. Right. So deal with it. And that was, uh, can also be the reason why <laughs> we haven't released an episode yeah. for a few months. We've been a bit a quick hiatus, hiatus yeah. because a baby was born. Lauren was busy bringing life into the world. I created shit, motherfucker. <laughs> it's my most creative endeavor. Endeavor ever, yeah. I, um, I think we might also do a, an episode or two about certain things like like having babies, so you know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, but this is this is his first sit-in, I yeah. think, is what we're trying to address. He's doing well as a as a fourth host here today. Yeah. So we're competing in just kind of this, like, parallel yeah. lives in so many ways while also kind of envying each other. Yeah, and more of like Aaron, Aaron Burr and yeah. envies uh, him. And then George Washington becomes president, as we all know, and asks Hamilton to be his, his treasury. treasury, secretary of the treasury. Uh, so he's the first Secretary of the Treasury. He's very good with money. I know so. way more about, it turns out, like English history and now French history than <laughs> really American our own history. Shit. And it's I'm, a problem. But. I mean, after listening to this, I learned a lot about America, especially that it was so contentious, like, even in early days, that it makes me feel better about the shitstorm that is happening right now. Right. Like, it's just like... History repeats itself. It was never good. It was <laughs> never good. Yeah. Like, it was never calm. Someone was like, you know, people are being mad about how <laughs> Republicans are not allowed to eat out in D.C., which I'm not mad about. Like, um, just because they're always confronted and, like, harassed out of the establishment, which... Oh, no. Yeah, God forbid. Um, but people are like, you know what's uncivil? Um deconstructing someone's house and throwing it in the river because that's happened before yeah <laughs> so we haven't gotten to that point <laughs> i feel like we're fine <laughs> that used to be a common like displeasure showing thing i don't know like but, literally i'm going to dismantle your house and like, throw it in the river <laughs> what is pretty good metaphor and make it a very literal thing <laughs> so they have a lot of debates that are interesting in terms of how america became what it is 
Like, for instance, he sets up the financial system for America where all of the states take on the debts of the other states. So everyone is backing each other up, basically. And that means that America has a lot more credit than it did before. Because if it's just like Maryland, for instance, what happens if the crabs all get a virus and die? Like, that's their main export at that point. So their credit then is terrible. But if Virginia is always going to be growing tobacco at this point, they're making a lot of money off of tobacco. So... Maryland doesn't have to worry because Virginia's got their back and so on and so forth. Virginia is the richest colonies and also one of the most stable, so they're not like super into this plan because mm-hmm. they're the ones who are bearing the brunt of this and like other southerners. I was gonna say, what does that remind you of yeah. going on now? I mean, as we were talking about both of these things, it's kind of like, oh man, so pertinent because you think about like the whole crisis in the EU right now. Is yeah, of, because yeah. Of, you know, it's like, yeah, Germany and certain other European countries were like, I'm really tired of having to like just carry this along but this is a great idea especially starting off as a new country so and the thing is the reason that these these people have so much money is because their industry uses slaves yeah and that is just a huge tax break i mean not tax break but like you don't have to pay labor you don't have to pay like compensation if someone gets hurt like, you just have to make sure they don't... I mean, you don't have to make sure they don't die. You They can just die. Yeah. Like, it's really awful. And Hamilton brings this up several times. Um, and actually, one of the... Like, they, there's a mixtape of, like, songs that didn't make it into Hamilton. And one of them is a debate about slavery. Mm. Because George Washington was a slave owner. Thomas, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. And so was James Madison. They were all slave owners, except for Hamilton. And he he was very against it, and for good reason, you know? But they make a lot of good points, and, like, Hamilton doesn't win that debate because they had it written into the Constitution that they couldn't talk about it until 1808. Like, so he's also the person, like, he's the head of the treasurer for this new country and having to, like, you know, kind of resign himself to, like, well, that's where a lot of the money comes from. Yeah, so he has to kind of live with that. So Hamilton, his son, passes away, dies in a duel. It is very symbolic because he tells his son, listen, shoot to, uh, when you're in this situation, just raise your gun to the sky and shoot. They won't shoot you either. It's a gentleman's thing and you'll live and it'll be fine. He doesn't want to kill you either. But the dude did want to kill him and killed this young 19 year old uh, son which is really devastating. And you know, the whole refrain in the beginning is Hamilton saying, I'm not throwing away my shot. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he tells his son to do, is throw away your shot. And then at the end, so Aaron Burr is running for president against Thomas Jefferson. Hamilton hates Thomas Jefferson. But Aaron Burr never says what he thinks, never says what he believes in. And that is really the antithesis of Hamilton, who never stops talking. All right. And so even though they were friends, and so even though they're friends... Hamilton endorses Thomas Jefferson for president. And Aaron Burr has a meltdown. He yeah. is, he's been waiting so long. He's made his move. Now, at the time when he could get what he wants, his friend, Hamilton, just completely swift boats him, which is uh, <laughs> an old term that just came to my head. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. He um, undermines him, I guess. There yeah. you go. And he doesn't get it. And so he is enraged. He challenges Hamilton to a duel. And Hamilton, again, Mm. he throws away his shot. He shoots to the sky. And Aaron Burr shoots him. The whole play is told from Aaron Burr's perspective. So Aaron Burr is really devastated about this. He didn't, like, afterwards he's like, I didn't mean to kill him. 
He, I didn't see him shooting for the sky, etc. Doesn't matter. He's dead. Aaron I Burr's actually feel bad because Hamilton trouble. in these situations seems to belabor under the fact that when you get into a duel, you shoot in the air, and nobody else does that. I know. <laughs> nobody kind of like, else seems to be doing this. Why do you think that that's what you're supposed to do? Have you seen this before? Did you, like, because yeah. you keep thinking this is what happens or what you do, and nobody else is doing that. And also, the, the duel that he was involved in as a young man, that didn't happen. Someone got shot in that duel. Yes. Like, they both shot at each other, and only one of the bullets hit. Yeah. But they both shot at each other. And then he advises his son to shoot at the air, and then he does it himself. He throws away his shot in the end, and he dies. And it's sad because, oh, I glossed over the whole fact that he cheated on his wife and then, like, printed about it in the paper. Like, yeah, so the thing that, it's so funny to me, because before Hamilton came out, I knew basically that. Like, the rivalry with Aaron Burr. And I didn't know that. I, well, but that's who shot him, so I yeah. guess that's why I knew that. But, like, also, just Hamilton, in general, just seemed to be kind of a dick. <laughs> and he was just kind of an asshole, and everybody was like, ugh. But I feel like this play gives you perspective on kind of why, and it's because he was smart, it's because he was really opinionated, and like you said, he just didn't stop talking. And he, he was wanted you to know. uncompromising in yeah. his intelligence, like, he didn't, he made other people feel dumb. Yeah. Like, which is a problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so the, like, the heroes of this are, like, kind of Hamilton, I guess. And Angelica, I would say, because Angelica, like, really takes him to task for being a dumbass, and telling everybody, there's actually, a, there is a mixtape where a lot of the songs that didn't make it in are, um, and I have it, and one song where just Angelica's like telling him off about it. It's called Congratulations. Oh, nice. And she's like, congratulations. You asshole. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really good because she's just like super pissed off at him. It's an interesting, I think it's different from Les Mis in that, it has these romantic elements to it, but it's way more practical. It's very American. And, yeah. like, it's not capital R romantic. No one is overcome with emotions and does something. Except, I guess, Eliza burns his letters at some point, which is a really sad song. But, like, nobody does anything for emotion, emotional They purposes. have a lot of passion. Yes. But they're, yeah, but it's not that they're emotional. very calculating. Yeah. They would not participate in an insurrection that had zero chance of, you know. Yeah. I guess the revolution had, didn't have a huge chance of winning, but, like, there was a whole force behind it, you know. Yeah. yeah, a lot of it is about politics. There are a lot of, like, rap battles about policy that you don't expect in a musical, you know. Hey, faithful listeners. Do you have an idea for an episode topic? Do you have your own opinions about what we talk about when we talk about zombies? Do you suspect someone of mind wizardry? Are you your own grandpa? Do you suspect us of mind wizardry? Let us know what you're thinking by emailing us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Okay, so now that we've talked about the two plays... I wanted to talk about why they're similar and why they're different. Uh, at the time when I thought this up, I thought that Les Mis was about the French Revolution, so <laughs> keep that in mind. They represent, like, huge events in the respective countries' histories, and also very similar events in that they're overthrowing, you know, who they see as oppressors. They're also kind of, when you think about, like, kind of grassroots, like, you, they're, yes. they're rebels, they're... Yeah, they're rebels, rebels, and, like, neither of these things were guaranteed to go well, yeah. you know? And, like, both of them very nearly didn't go well. One of them did, and one of them didn't. Right, yeah. <laughs> 
but they're presented in such different ways. And I, my hypothesis that Hamilton is very American, whereas Les Mis is very French, even yeah. in the way that the story is uh, portrayed. There's more like obvious comedy in, yes, in Hamilton. That's true. Les Mis is not funny. There's a lot of like kind of very practical ways, like you mentioned earlier, about dealing with the same kind of issues like love and governance, whereas Les Mis has a lot more to do about like. I feel this way, so I'm going to do a thing. Exactly. That's a poorly thought out. Oh, he did it. Yeah, someone was like, uh, there's a book by Tom Robbins called uh, Still Life with Woodpecker, and in it they talk about um, how revolutions don't want romantics in them Mm. because the romantic, or I think they say the lover is like, it's all about them and their journey, whereas in a revolution you need to think about the end outcome. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, um, I think that even comes up in Les Mis where they're just like, oh, he's in love with a girl. Mm, yes. Okay, well, we can count him out. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, like, you need to you need to stop talking about this because we have bigger things to focus yeah. on. Yeah, there's like a but, song about it. but he doesn't. <laughs> like, he literally says, like, if you had seen her, you would know. And everyone's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. You're fighting the government. Please focus. <laughs> like, focus, my friend. <laughs> focus, homie. So let's talk about the heroes um, in... Les Mis, let's say Jean Valjean, he is the hero, I would say, of Les Mis. And it's hard to say who the hero of Hamilton is. Like, Hamilton is the hero and the villain. (laughs) I mean, there's a good part where, um, I guess it's in one of the the extra songs, but he's like, the only person you lose to is you. Like, the only person who beats you is you. (laughs) Yeah, he's defeated himself several times over, and he's a much more interesting character, I would say, than Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean's trying to do the right thing. He is a righteous man who is, you know, working hard for his family, for his daughter, and... And when you think about it, it's very classic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. American narrative. Very but, classic. Hmm, interesting. In that, in that way of, like, failure and redemption. Yeah. But I think where it is French is where it resides in the idea that, like, these are, these are absolute moral values and um, I think the moral absolutism is really like because yeah, and the romance that, I think the, the combination of those two is what makes yeah. Les Mis so yeah. Les Mis so and that's the thing like when he is a mayor of that town and he is faced with this person who looks like him who is going to be convicted as him his thought was like I have to confess everything that I've ever done yeah. and it's like there I are I just let this go or <laughs> I could literally go back to jail yeah and like there is a medium place there like there is a let's speak for this man at his trial and get him off so that you can you know help rehabilitate him and like and morally like depending on what ethical structure you're using like that would be the better choice because now you have a second person Mm. who is a redeemed person and a functioning member of society you pointing that out shows that Valjean himself is actually kind of a black and white thinking person yeah in terms of like to be you know, wh- whereas, like, he sees it in, like, a positive way. It's like, if I'm going to be truly of the light, then I always need to do the quote-unquote right thing, even if it's to the de- detriment of all, yeah. right? So, Versus Valjean, who's like, you fall, you, you're fall, so and there is no redemption. I have a few questions. The first one is, like, when did Alexander Hamilton live? Like, around what time? Oh, crap. I ask crap. because, like, I, don't know. I think that the differences in the, in the plays are more about the time period in which they were created more than they are about the places where they were created in. Ooh, that's interesting. I think that we know a lot more about 
story structure in media now mm. and about like modern audiences like mm-hmm. here we're talking from a time when Hamilton is like the hottest thing since sliced bread and so really? we're like oh it's definitely more nuanced and blah 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 and like it makes more sense but also like 1980 the Les Mis was yeah was the first made as a play but, yeah so like I wonder some of that has to do with like what actually happened right like Hamilton is based on a real person's life right so like but he and there's definitely some person at that yeah and there's definitely some exa- exaggeration going sure. on there's like definitely yeah because I mean I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is definitely like for Alexander Hamilton like right. on his side in a way but, and he's also got to make a good show and he knows like what modern audiences will yeah. appreciate and there's rapping. There's rapping. They <laughs> yeah. love the there's, raps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Hamilton was born in 1755. Um, okay, so well before. Or 1757. So he was like in his 20s during the revolution. During the American, American revolution. revolution. And well before the French Revolution, which actually comes up in Hamilton we talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah, the French Revolution happened about like 10, 15 years life, yeah. after so, the American one. It's interesting because the source material for Hamilton is, is much older than the source material for... They miss, but the media generated is much younger. Yeah, so the source material for Les Mis was written in 1863, and then by Victor Hugo, and then so the source material for Hamilton is Hamilton's life, which well, would be 1755. Even, like the, even the the revolution that the, that Les Mis is based on was 1830. So right. Mm-hmm. It happened well before Hamilton. That's a good point. Well, after Hamilton died, I imagine. Yeah, he died in 1809. Right. So, like 30 years after he died is when 1804. Sorry. The, the Les Mis event yeah. happened, and then 30 years after that is when it was actually written. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because, like, there's a longer build-up period for this piece of media versus, like, Les Mis, which was just, like, it happened, and then it was written, and then... Well, know, and, and, yeah, and, like, on top of that, too, like, I guess part of that is because, you know, Victor was there, you know? Mm-hmm. We talked about how he was present, so he's so he's writing about his experiences, yeah. whereas, like, Hamilton didn't do that and so right. right it's somebody somebody had to find his or, letters yeah and, oh, and find it to find, find it interpret exactly find it and find it rife for reimagining in yeah, a way like deeply reinterpreted like, yeah with, with like rap music and, and black actors and stuff like yeah that's, that's true a huge change from like victor hugo being in a place and writing about the place he was in and like, adding a few fictional characters right. you know yeah I'll represent the poor with this guy. Yeah. I'll represent yeah. the with this guy, but it's it's a fictional story, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of those changes are kind of like, or a lot of those differences are more, they are more indicative of the structure and the differences between the two than like, this is very French. Like, you're right, it is it is very culturally different in yeah. some ways. Mm-hmm. Like the, the I just said passions. that as a, as a starting point, Matthew. Sure, it sure. wasn't my deep analysis. I see. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were like, these are very, these are the thing. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, like, I think the timing period. That's a good point because I think you're right in terms of when it was written. I'm just thinking of what you said about the nuance because I feel like Alexander Hamilton is a much more nuanced character than Jean Valjean because Jean Valjean doesn't yeah. really have a bad side. He is portrayed sometimes as like willing to do a horrible thing, but he never does a horrible thing. Right. You know, and he is always doing the right thing. He's always helping people who need to be helped. Yeah. And whereas Hamilton, as much as he believes himself to be a good person, is not out for other people. He's out for himself. Yeah. Like, Hamilton really seems to have to, like, sensationalize history. And I wonder if that's part of it, too, where it's like, oh, well, 
nobody really, I mean, even as we're talking, we're kind of like struggling because we don't have the education in this particular time sure. period or whatever. And so it's like, oh, by sensationalizing it, you know, everybody's going to walk away with like, even though, right, we've already given the disclaimer about it being like hyperbolized, but like people walk away with a better understanding mm-hmm. at least of like, this man, Hamilton, yeah. but also the Revolutionary War and, like, our connection to France and our connection to each other and the Founding Fathers and that political side. And, like, in a way it made it, like, really exciting in a way that Victor did absolutely didn't make what yeah. he wrote Les Mis. Right. You know, we talked about it being so, like, long and boring and dry. And so when the musical was written in 1980, I bet, like, that felt really sensationalized as well. I mean, I think maybe just modern audiences are much more, like, okay with the ideas of, like, moral relativism. Yeah. Or, like, mm-hmm. it's okay if someone is also bad and good like, yeah. in certain situations, whereas I think back then it was maybe more, like... You need this clear-cut... tale. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Look at these terrible rich people doing the terrible rich people things, and they get the plight of the oppressed, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, what you said before about fictionalizing recent history, like that's what Victor Hugo was doing mm-hmm. when he wrote. And I, I think we should have a whole podcast about that because I, oh, there's I a it. lot of, uh, I have a lot of feelings. But it's like, you know, Zero Dark Thirty is a movie about something that happened like three years before it was yeah. out. So like, there's a lot of fresh emotions about that. And for Victor Hugo, probably there's a lot of fresh emotions about that. We don't, as a nation, have a lot of fresh emotions about Alexander Hamilton. Right. I mean, we do now because of the play. Because of the right. play but like before that, I think that Lin Manuel Miranda really connected to him because he's from Puerto Rico mm. and uh, an American citizen, and kind of connected to, to him that way. But yeah, I think part of it too is that I wonder what our country would be like if Alexander Hamilton had lived. Mm. He wasn't. He died in eighteen o four, so the slavery discussion was slated for eighteen o eight. What would that have looked like with Alexander Hamilton? You know, would the civil rights movement have been more... I mean, it was very successful in a way, but, like, what would it have looked like if our country had grown up with Alexander Hamilton being one of the founding fathers and continuing to be one of the founding fathers? Right. Like, it kind of bothers me. (laughs) I watched um, Lincoln recently, the the film that um, Daniel Day-Lewis was in. Oh, yeah. Of course, it focuses on, like, the end of the Civil War and him trying to pass the 13th Amendment. Like, that's what the film... And I, you know, and I think about, like, wow... I wonder what kind of building blocks he would have had if he hadn't died. If if Hamilton Hamilton hadn't died yeah. and his views on slavery and like would that have been something that like like you said Emily but like I feel like that might have been thinking about like a direct correlation to like oh here's this person that when the country started had very strong like anti-slavery views and then you look you know decades and decades later how you know it's like oh wow what if what if something had happened earlier in the country's beginning to change it, to how change everyone felt. How that fell through yeah yeah and i mean i think also benjamin franklin was a abolitionist but he was a because he was a Quaker, was he a Quaker? I think so. I think He's also so. bananas. He was bananas, but like he had a lot of influence. He was like a clear like thirty years older than all the other founding fathers. Yeah. So he definitely like kicked it early, relatively, yeah. and so he was not around either. Right. So I don't know. I just I think about that also. Side note: As um, have you guys ever read um, *Killers of the Flower Moon*? It's a really interesting book about the beginning of the FBI and these killings that were happening on the Osage Nation territory because they found oil and all of them got really, really rich. And it was oh, like I heard this, about this, yeah, it was this weird like 
pocket of uh, indigenous people who were just super rich living their lives. And I was like, what would our... And one by one, they were all murdered. That's spoiler alert. Yeah. And it's a very interesting story. But I was like, what would our nation be like if we had these like lobbying interests that were from the Osage Nation, like these people who don't have a voice in our current government. Like, what would it be like? I was kind of sad for that whole, like, you know, what would it be like if Alexander... And, like, it could be that Alexander Hamilton would just have made Trump happen earlier, you know? Because he was really, like, vitriolic and uh, did not pull his punches. So, you know, who knows? But back to the question about who the villains are. No, it's not. We're we're meant to think of Javert as the bad guy, even though he has, like, a redeeming moment at the end. Um... But I think yeah. it's like the one, like the one gray area of like morality in the play, where it's like, oh, he's not such a bad guy after all. Yeah, I think he's kind of the agent of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if you think about it really hard, like he's doing what he thinks is right because he has been kind of poisoned by. That's what he, the rhetoric he was inundated with, like throughout his life. Right. Yeah. By this like toxic morality, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, like and- a bad unbending a bad i don't want to say bad religion but bad theology we'll say yeah bad worldview unhealthy yeah like there are no real bad guys aaron burr aaron burr is like does shoot a person yeah several people (laughs) he's not a bad guy like he's a he's the friend of the main character for most of the play like yeah and that's the thing like you very much sympathize with him like I have found myself feeling like Aaron Burr when someone else gets, like, a promotion or something and being like, I could so shoot a person right now. Or, like, you know, just, like, when he's like, wait for it, and you're like, I have to wait for this, and other people are getting this, and it's really... And it's so relatable. So it's really Mm -hmm. hard to view him as a villain. It's almost like Hamilton and Aaron are these, like, you know, two sides of the same coin, where it's, like, it's the duality of all of us, in a way, where it's, like, you have that part of you that's, like, very, like, garish... And then there's the part of you, right, that, like, waits too long. And, I, like you said, most of us tend to live in the middle. Yeah. And these two men are these extreme opposites mm-hmm. and are placed in competition with one another. Yeah. But I wonder, like, as you were talking, I was thinking, like, is your competitor necessarily your antagonist? Right. Yeah. I don't think so. Aaron Burr waits so long, and the one time that he chooses to do something is when he dethrones Hamilton's father-in-law... And kind of uses his anti-Hamilton platform to become senator. So it's like a shitty thing to do, right? It is, but it's like you can see where it came from. And like he was just taking the option that was open, basically. And he kind of says to Hamilton, like, I I hope this means we can still be friends. Hamilton's like, you just got my father-in-law fired. Like, I don't... (laughs) No, we can't be friends. Aaron Burr sees it as like this is just what I needed to it's do. A practical matter. Yeah, it's like it doesn't mean anything. Like they hate you, and and I yeah. told them I hate you too. And I'm taking advantage of a, like the scene <laughs> right now, but like it doesn't mean I don't like you as a person. Yeah, or, you know? yeah. I so, just told everybody I hate you. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't mean anything. But then I mean Hamilton does friend. some unethical things too. Right. So it's like also I, Hamilton it, his transparency though that made it seem like you know when someone kind of owns up to their like really strong feelings no yeah. matter kind of which way they fall it's like no I said this thing because I believe it yeah. versus I said this thing because I wanted this other thing. Right. Yeah, and like I think 
and that is what in the end tanks Ham- uh, Aaron Burr's career is that he doesn't say what he means mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it relies upon Hamilton to move forward and Hamilton is like I don't value your taciturn your what, smile more talk less thing so I'm gonna go with this other person that I hate but I know what he stands for mm-hmm. right um, which you can't fault him for you know right yeah well so uh, I think like kind of they're both they're both you know guilty of the same crime almost in a way yeah just like kind of at different times and so like yeah I don't really think there is a villain it's just yeah. sort of about people flawed like regular people who Thomas Jefferson is kind of a villain but he's more of again a competitor like they all in the end want the same thing they want America to do well mm-hmm. But Thomas Jefferson, his priorities are for the South Mm -hmm. and not for particularly America. And so he wants, his vision of America is like everyone being an independent farmer and just living their lives that way. However, he kind of glosses over the fact that like slaves exist and that he has them. And, you know, just all of these things. I don't know. Yeah, I think about how crazy it must have been to come out of the Revolutionary War and just be like, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> because what you know, happens next? Yeah, because, you know, a lot of us, like, you know, we think about, like, in a modern context, a lot of us, not necessarily saying, like, the three of us, but us as in people who live in America wrap our identity up in being American. Yeah. And being patriotic is yeah. still, like, a really important thing to many people. And at that point, like, what was there to be patriotic about? Like, because you're, the identity was the, we are colonies of England, so we think of ourselves as Englishmen. Yeah. Well, now we're not Englishmen, so yeah. do we divide ourselves up by state? So I'm loyal to Virginia versus, you yeah. know, unifying them all into a country. Like, that must have been really mind-blowing. And mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, well, but at the time, everybody was still was so new. It was such a new concept. And, right, like, wasn't it, like, one of the only, up until that point, like, yeah, there were revolutionary wars that happened but like this was like a major overthrow because at the time that the revolutionary war happened england was the greatest power yeah well there the was that time, there right? was one other revolution that happened before the american revolution that kind of set the stage it was the haitian revolution yeah and yeah. they definitely they were a large portion of slaves in this mm-hmm. country had a revolt threw off the french kept the spanish at bay like they ended up really in fact toussaint louverture who is very famous Haitian general, like, joined the Spanish army for a while until the French were like, okay, you can all be free, it's fine, and then he was like, okay. I mean, it didn't go great for Haiti, because it's not great right now, but there are reasons for that. Yeah. Um, but they definitely, like, it would not, American Revolution probably would not have happened without the Haitian Revolution. Right, yeah. I find that very interesting. I would love, love to have a Hamilton about the Haitian Revolution. <laughs> or, yeah, so many things, actually. But Yeah, so I think, back to the question, I think that there are no real villains in this. Because, like, even, like you said, King George is, like, he's one of my favorite characters. He's, he's, like, he's so like, funny. He's a... What's the word? Comedic support. Yeah, comedic relief. And if you see it, the last song that he sings is like, um, oh, I'm excited to see what happens. Because he's like expecting shit to fly. And in the play, he actually stays on stage and like is just this watcher in the corner. (laughs) And he's just like laughing at everything that happens, including the, you know, the Reynolds pamphlet where he writes about his affair. He grabs a stack of them and is like distributing (laughs) them. And he's like dancing all over the place. And it is so funny. 
because he's just like so gleeful. <laughs> it's like I don't even care if we lose the colony. <laughs> like great. Is, yeah, he's yeah. just like there for the mess, and it is so funny. Heroes and villains. Also, the music style is very different. Yeah. Obviously, the um. We have, like, I guess you could call it classical music. Traditional Broadway. Yeah, traditional yeah. Broadway style. Uh, and then Hamilton. <laughs> you never heard of Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Hamilton has rap in it, uh, and it's a lot of hip-hop. There is a lot of singing going on, so it's not completely rap. I love the rap battles. Those are hilarious. Yeah, and, it's, and it is operatic in the sense that the story is being told in the music. Yes. So operas yes. are like it is that. operatic because the entire story is in music and there are no speaking parts. In fact, if you watch it, there is only one part that is not in the soundtrack and it is um, between the two. It's the last scene in the first um, section and someone dies and it's really sad. But it is still a song, it's just not in the in the soundtrack. So, and then Les Mis is the same, right? There's no, I mean, depending how they decide to um, stage it, mm-hmm. it can be operatic or it can be a musical. Yeah. Because I, I, I feel like what I grew up watching was, like, the PBS, like, performance where there's, they're in costume standing at mics. Yeah, that's that's what I've been watching. Mm-hmm. But but there is, like, an actual, like, play, play. like, musical play with set pieces and, you know, yeah. like, and choreography and stuff. I think it's mostly music. Like, I, I, yeah. if there's talking, it's, it's... It's, like, one or two lines like, between yeah. the songs. Right. Yeah, I, I do remember, they'll say some things, but it's, most of it is singing. Yeah. Um, I think also the love story is very different in both of them. Like in, like we talked about in Les Mis, it is like the be all end all. Marius is a hundred percent ready to give over the revolution for Cosette. It's only, I think his like morals that kind of really pull him in at the end. Yeah. He probably with more encouragement would have gone with Cosette. In uh, Hamilton, it's very much very practical. Like I, I, like you said, I think they do love each other, Eliza and Hamilton, but it's very much like he married her for her money, even though, and it's not a time where you marry people for love, like you said, and they love each other and she, God, she loves him because she spends like 50 years like trying to build his legacy after he's dead, which is just at every time I hear, uh, every time I see that in a play, that one song, I just, I'm bawling. Like by the end, it's really hard because like it ends and then they cut the lights on, and you're just like in. You're just <laughs> ugly crying. I'm like ugly crying. Um, and give me a second. Yeah, I've seen Hamilton three times, and every single time that's happened, and I'm like pr- try and prepare myself for it, <laughs> and it just never works. Like the other, there are other songs that I like get te- teary eyed. Only once did I cry it satisfied. The woman who sang it was really really good. But like I'll get teary eyed when Philip dies. I really hate that part. And like during Satisfied and other parts, but like at the end, it's just like tears for days. It's just like, oh, and I'm ugly crying, and my makeup's all gross. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I want to talk about like the, the romance again a little bit. Um, yeah, because I think part of the way that that is portrayed is because of the timescales involved in both plays. Like, mm. I think it's important to like recognize that. Hamilton takes place over the course of, like, most of a man's life. Like, yeah, it's true. Tens of decades, or not tens of decades, but tens of years. You know, yeah. Like 30, 40 years, maybe. Whereas Les Mis is, like, mostly in the course of, like, a few weeks of a revolution. Like, there's a lot of part, a lot about John Valjean's life before. But it's we don't live through it. We just hear about it. Right. The main thrust of the play is, like, during this revolution when 
Cosette and, and Marius. Well, I guess I guess honestly though, if you think about it, it's Cosette's life because yeah, we kind of jump in when she's a little girl. Yeah. Although she's not a main character per se, especially at the beginning, it is. You know, Jean Valjean is our protagonist, but it's her life that it kind of spans over. So you think about it, like so maybe a decade. Right. Right. Yeah. She so, goes maybe eight to eighteen or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like a short, much shorter period of time. So like, the emotions of like romance have a lot, are a lot more like potent and like visceral on that time scale. Whereas like, the emotions of romance are much more practical on a longer time scale. You're you're right. You're talking about because in Lamez it's like the <clears throat> first love and right. like first meeting. Whereas in Hamilton it's about their marriage and their right. lives together. Like their adult lives. As yeah, like that's who true. Are doing things. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like. Limis is mostly about this romance with like some revolution stuff thrown in. Yeah, been that love between like Valjean and Fantine too, because again it was like platonic. Yeah, but it's is so it is kind of this like, and of course she she dies, um, but it is kind of this what it, uh, what's a good word for it? It's almost like puppy love, you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not a marriage, but it's also sure. not that like intense intense like passionate yeah. love the way like Cosette and Marius have. So it's like, I feel like all the kind of loves are represented in a way. Yeah, that's true. Unrequited love is also there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's really, I think, Hamilton, one of the most, like, poignant moments is when Hamilton has written out his, actually two moments in that same scene where he's written out his affair to this other woman. He's printed it. And the first part is when Angelica comes up and he's like, he believes Angelica to be on his wavelength in almost all things. And he's right in some respects. But in this, he's like, oh, thank God you're here. Someone who understands what I'm doing. He's like, she's like, I'm not here for you. And that is such a like poignant moment because she loves him. But she thought they were participating in this like cosmic denial of like secret love where he is like going out and finding ladies and like Mm -hmm. having sex with them. So like... She's like, we are not on the same wavelength. We are not like heroically abstaining from love this for the like sake. This is like a chivalry thing. Yeah, like you're the young knight, and I'm the lady who and you like yeah. sing your songs to. Yeah, this is not what's happening yeah. anymore. Like you fuck that up, and like also, also you fucked over my little sister. So yeah, like, I mean, you know, and that's she's the upset thing. For her sister as well. Like we were both doing this for her, and you fucked it up, and. I hate you, and I'm on her side 100%. And then at the end of that song, they're like, his poor wife. And then it just goes into her song, and you're like, and when you first watch it, you're like, all up in this, like, yeah, you know, it's a fun song, because he's like, he's never going to be president now. And you're like, dancing, and it's great. And then it just cuts off, and you're like, and they're like, his poor wife. And you're like, oh my god, his poor wife. (laughs) And you have the same realization at the same time. You're like, oh shit, Eliza. And it's just, it's so sad. Like, oh. And it's all because of this love story that is very practical. So he was very practical about um, his love affair. He was like, everyone needs to know because then nobody can hold it over my head. Mm -hmm. And um, I can move forward with this. But... Like, if I... To hide things gives other people leverage over me. Power over me. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was like... he's not wrong. And he's kind of Aaron Burry in that way, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really cutthroat what he did. And... She was like, I, you think that you are saving your legacy, but these children are your legacy, and I am your legacy, and you don't understand what you just did, basically. Yeah. So, it's interesting. Think about that, Dad. Yeah. 
all you political dads. Yeah, it's interesting. And she gets, and I think pertinent to this podcast, Eliza says, I'm removing myself from this narrative. Like, I am not going to be this person, this tragic figure in history. I'm removing myself from this narrative. I'm burning all of these letters. No one is ever going to think what I, uh, know what I thought about this. Mm. Um, It's done. Like, so it's very interesting that throughout Hamilton, they all see it as like, we are creating history. They're thinking, at least the characters are, they're thinking about it that way. We are creating history. And she used her power to redact. Yeah, and she's like, you know what? No one's going to know how you seduced me in the first place. I'm burning all of those letters. Like, well, I think that's also partly because of like the source material. Once again, like Lemis is like mostly fictional with like right. some some major like, events, I guess. Right. Yeah. Whereas like Hamilton is about real people who did real things over the course of their lives, and like you can't just you can just add things in. Mm-hmm. But we're using the their letters as source material. Right. Exactly. So they you need to to be true to what is there in a way if you're going to be like historically accurate or whatever. Right. So it's. Yeah, I love those yeah. moments when you're, like, watching a movie or... I mean, it, kind of like our misgivings with Les Mis where you're, like... You get caught up in it and you just... You think you know what it's about. And then it's like, that's not about the French Revolution, y'all. And everyone's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> I guess, like... I, I'm coming from it from a place where it's, like... There's, like, some very large structural differences between the two pieces of media. Mm. That, like... Whereas on the surface, they're very similar because they're both about, like, a revolution. And they both are, like, musicals. And they both are, like, whatever... I think there's just, like, very large structural differences that make them very different. Yeah, and I think I think the differences, though, come from the way that the story is told. I think that the stories are, in fact, very similar, except that they focus on different things. Sure, like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, so when I first conceived of this podcast, I thought that the events of Les Mis happen directly after the events of Hamilton because they start talking in the second act about the French Revolution mm, right. and how they're not going to help because it's a very good moment where he's like, they helped us, you know, with our revolution. Why can't we help them? And Hamilton's like, help who? Like, they killed the king. Like, who are we helping? The king, you know, the king's head is in a basket. Should we help them? Like, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? And he's absolutely right. And George Washington takes his side in this. Not to mention that part of the reason why the French Revolution happened to begin with is because the the king, Louis XVI, kind of pushed them into, like, financial destitute by supporting yeah. the American Revolution. Thank by you, France. Them. We'll get you back in World War One yeah. and Two. And Two. Um, <laughs> you know, all the wars from then on. Yeah, right. you're welcome. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, that was, that was part of it, is they were, like, sending aid and continued to do so. As, like, a show of force to England, and then to their detriment, really. Yeah. So... And it feels shitty, because there is a kind of, like, you know... It does feel somewhat of a betrayal of an ally. But, yeah, Hamilton but again, has a really great point. But again, he dead, yeah. Like, the ally, the person who agreed to help you, is dead. And yeah. his... Whoever helped him is not... They're not in charge. So, like, what we are you going to do? Your help to, like... I guess when you're talking about, like, countries and governments, it's like... It is kind of important to know exactly, like, you know, when you say the people, that's real broad. Yeah, he's like, the people are leading. He says the people are leading, and he's like, the people are rioting. There's a difference. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's true. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think I love both of these equally, but in different ways. Sure. Like, uh, Les Mis is always going to, like, have my heart, and it's very... 
very stirring in a lot of ways. Like, after you finish watching uh, Les Mis, you do want to, like, flip over a cop car <laughs> or something. Um, <laughs> or, as Matthew would say in college, uh, I want to fuck up a horse cop. <laughs> Matthew definitely called me once to tell me he was going to fuck up a horse cop. Um, <laughs> which I hope you didn't mean the horse. Just That's exactly what I thought. He's a big two. He's a big That's two. what I thought. Um, like, he's right. They get badges. Exactly. And after after Hamilton, you are filled with a lot of mixed emotions, mostly like for Eliza Hamilton, who, mm. you know, kept the faith for all those years. Really. Yeah. And, and she's a good example. I think one of the three lines that you could say are similar to is about like the, like the women are, you know, how like... They they play really important part. I mean, like, hello, like Marius is like stirred to passion because of like Cosette, yeah. but also like, uh oh, got a rowdy oh, bird. Got a rowdy bird. But like, you know, but also like she doesn't really have any real power, and it's kind of the same yeah. with like Eliza, where it's like, right, she gets cheated on, she gets humiliated by her husband's, you know, like yeah. kind of political. Stri- stri- Strategy. <laughs> That's what I was trying not to say. Embrace it. I already Strategy. said swift boating today, so um, we're bringing back the Bush era slang. Right. Fontaine is becomes this. She becomes like a martyr. She becomes. She becomes the psychopomp at the end of the yes, play, who yeah. leads um, Jean Valjean to goes to heaven. Yeah. So Fontaine made it to heaven. You know, like, but all of these things that kind of turn on the whims of men. Yeah. Well, our our fourth podcast host is getting pretty fussy, so we're going <laughs> to shut it down. But thank you so much, storytellers, for listening. Don't be a tropey dopes. Be sure to fuck up a horse cop. And keep telling your stories. <laughs>